I used to be insecure when I'd get to the boardroom and I'd realize that there was some aspect of my business that I hadn't solved yet. You know, some lead funnel was broken, some product launch was off schedule, something was wrong. Hello, and welcome to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be your host and bartender today. I'm really excited to share my conversation with Carrie Lou Dietrich. She is a CMO consultant and executive coach. She has a ton of experience as a marketing leader at companies that, well, you've probably heard of, uh, Atlassian, Oracle, to name a couple. She has been a CMO. She sits on a board. Uh, and I have seen Carrie Lou present now two times and met her in person. And she's one of those people that when she's on stage, she's so engaging, so charming, down to earth. She owns her success that you think, this has got to be an act. She can't be this way in person. But you know what? She is. It's not a load of shit. She is who she is. She's incredible. She is authentically Carrie Lou all the time. And I really knew I wanted her on the show, specifically because the last time I heard her present, it was on a topic that had everybody squirming. It was what you should be presenting to your board as a CMO and what you should be presenting in that really what do your slides entail i don't want to give away any secrets because it it will blow your mind so let's get into it and grab a drink with carrie lou what are you having today i have a bacon and eggs imperial coffee porter because I mean, that's incredible. like what you could have before noon. <laughs> totally acceptable. I'm on Eastern time. So I'm in a Friday afternoon situation. So I, I'm feeling no qualms, but I'm having something called a Paloma margarita, which is a, a very fancy margarita and it's delicious. And I might keep this rolling. I don't know. It's a Friday <laughs> afternoon. We'll see. Well, if any of you guys have heard Carrie Lou speak recently or follow her on LinkedIn, you'll see that she is addressing an incredibly popular topic for CMOs. And that is on the topic of CMOs interacting with their board. And her talk track is delightfully called Board Nirvana, which is a very pleasant way of saying, Carrie Lou, what the hell do I present to my board? Why is this such a hot topic? So this was one of the the most satisfying presentations I've ever prepared because for me, presenting to the board of directors was a really difficult challenge. And in part because I've been a um, top leader at a number of different companies that had really different approaches. So I started off at Oracle, um, which, you know, it's a gigantic company with a a very hierarchical structure um, and a very... Um, formal process for how we prepare things to Larry, for Larry Ellison and, and the presidents and, and the board. Uh, and then I was the head of marketing at Atlassian ahead of their uh, IPO and for their IPO, positioned them well. We nailed it, thanks to a lot of fantastic PR, um, among other marketing aspects. And there we had two president, or, sorry, two CEOs and a president, and it was very decentralized. So the way we presented to the board and interacted the, with the board couldn't have been more different than Oracle. Uh, and then I was CMO of a company, a Series C startup named Classy that makes fundraising software for nonprofits. Um, and there I was one of the most experienced executives. So I had to, I got to kind of set some of my own patterns for how I interacted with the board. But I wanted to clarify it for CMOs. And so I went out and researched the best practices. I talked to CEOs, venture capitalists, private equity investors, other CMOs, and came up with my five tips and guidelines for getting to Nirvana. So let's dive in a little bit more to this. What do most CMOs get wrong when it comes to presenting to the board? 
I think, you know, to be an effective CMO, you need to hire the right team. You need to put in place the right processes. You need to care about your measurements and statistics. You're constantly troubleshooting the biggest issues. You're kind of in the trenches with your team. And when you're with the board, that's all table stakes. And they don't really want to hear you talking about the next three to six months. You know, they want to kind of see that as a check mark. But they're looking for you to be part of their team instead of a representative of your team. And so they're looking one year, three years, five years in the future. How can you change your competitive position in the market? You know, what new product lines can you offer? What are you hearing from customers that are leading indicators? How can you help them understand how to really maximize the business's potential, not just marketing's potential? I love that. They want to feel as you are a part of their team. One of the things that you had said in your presentation is that the board already trusts that you know more than them about the marketing discipline. So what do what's the number one thing that they want to get from your presentation? So I think one of the things I really came to realize in working on the presentation myself and and you know sometimes in teaching you learn it better yourself, but I feel like there's two aspects of of really nailing your board presentation as a CMO or any executive or visitor to a board meeting. And half of that is the mastery of your strategy and statistics. Like you know what you're doing and and they feel like you have a good sense. But the other half of that is your confidence in yourself because they're reading your capabilities based on your own confidence in your abilities. So if I used to be insecure when I'd get to the boardroom and I'd realize that there was some aspect of my business that I hadn't solved yet. You know, some lead funnel was broken, some product launch was off schedule, something was wrong. And that was what caused me insecurity. And I would give off cues of insecurity when really what they're looking for is that I understand the problem. I'm thinking clearly about how to solve it. I have a plan in place. I have confidence in our ability to to solve that problem. Or if I have a clear ask, what do I need from them? Do I need money? Do I need time? Do I need a person or some engineering? They just want us to have both a great sense for what we're doing, but also this confidence in ourselves that we can manage whatever comes our way because we're asking good questions. We know how to put together a plan and we can execute against that plan. So it sounds like the number one thing that they're looking for is the confidence that you are the right person. I think it's really the the, the combination, right? There's this yin and yang. If you don't know your numbers uh, you throw your sales under the bus or point fingers, you know, you don't understand the core operating metrics of the business, you know, in SaaS, like your ARR or something, that's also a disqualifier, right? So as in all things in life, it's it's the yin and the yang coming together. Your mastery of the content and your confidence in yourself, your team and your abilities coming together. You had mentioned that there were a few clear giveaways that you were not confident. Can you talk about a few of those? Certainly. Uh, One that my dad gives me the hardest time about, and actually my husband as well, is this woman voice thing where I go up at the end of a sentence. So I was thinking that maybe we're going to implement this. And instead of having really strong sentences that are conclusive and end and pause. So that's like one aspect that's personal to me, but I think many women struggle with it in a way that, that men don't speak in question marks. You're totally right. We we actually record each other here. We have a office of predominantly women being in the PR field. 
And that's something that we pay attention to. It's where if I'm talking to you, it's it's called up speak or, or up talk. And it, it is, it's rampant amongst women. And if you listen to men, it doesn't happen. It almost exists, at, not at all. Yeah, Not at all. It's it's mind blowing. I don't know where it came from or, or how it, it happened or why, but that is definitely something that we pay attention to as well. When it comes to the actual presentation, I definitely want to address this because again, this was one of those starred items that I took away. As a, a PR agency for B2B SaaS, we are oftentimes asked by our client contacts who are sometimes a CMO for us to provide slides for their board presentation. And what I starred that you said that made, I think, most of the room gasp in disbelief is that your presentation should ideally contain no more than three slides. Yeah, I think I might have said three to five slides because I have a a little outline here. But Certainly, I have made the mistake of 10, 15, 20 slides. And sometimes you'll get guidance from a CEO or CFO about providing more detail. And I always like to be careful about if that's detail they want or the board really needs. Because board decks are a great opportunity for CFOs, COOs, CEOs to ask questions and get really high quality answers. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what the board wants. A lot of board members, myself included, on on the board that I sit on, you struggle with if each department that's presenting to the board provides 20 slides, the board deck pre-read can be so substantial that you you don't retain as much as you'd really like to 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 make a strategic conversation uh, and that you're in too many details. The board wants you to be succinct and clear. What do they need to know and what do they need to do? Again, this is a, it's a yin and a yang because the CEOs that I talked to in preparation for this said they also would love for you to have precise answers. They said it's an open book test. Bring in as many notes and executive dashboards as possible so that you can answer questions with a specific metric. And that shows you know your business, but they don't want to be inundated. They want five high-level slides. What's going on in the market with competitors, analysts, or trends? What are the marketing focus areas and how are we doing? How do they ladder up? You know, within that can be how is that laddering up to the company's strategy? Some some key stats for the quarter, your goals, the actual, and any contacts from last year. Highlights of the upcoming plans and highlights of any inspiring new projects. So there's a lot of detail in there. It's just kind of baked into a, a synthesis that gives them just what they need to know. And then in conversation, you can get deeper and deeper into categories that concern the most. And for those marketing leaders who are working on uh, quarterly or biannual presentations right now, they literally just shit their pants and they heard three to five slides max. Can you provide some guardrails for what should be in those slides if, if they're looking to condense what would have been a 20, 25 page presentation down to three to three or five? What are those key points, topic areas? How should those slides be organized? Any parameters you can provide around that, I think would be super helpful. It's really important to align with your CEO because your your goal is to, to complement what they're already talking about. But across the different companies and across all of these interviews uh, that I've had, the thing that stands out to me most was a peer of mine who was a man, and he and I were both presenting our six-month review and, and future and I had done all this detail and I had all these charts and he had had this really lightweight presentation with just some words and a lot of conversation. And at the end, he said, Carrie Lou, you do so much more work than I do. 
but mine I think is hitting harder. I think you need to take everything you have in the slides and put it in the notes and then put the, the impact in the slide. And it was a big turning point for me because he was right. I had done so much more homework and I was so much more detail oriented and yet he commanded the room in the conversation. So I don't think that the slides for the board are necessarily your dissertation about what's going on. It's the, the summary of what you need to talk to them about. Got it. And as the CMO, um, someone who is to own the market, how important or not important is it to include market insights as part of that presentation? Critical. When I talked to several of the CEOs about how CMOs could have a more permanent place at the table, how CMOs get to be in every board meeting instead of visiting every now and then talking about a marketing problem, they said that there was a problem a gap in many of their portfolio companies or or the boards that they sat on, really talking about the market strategy and the company strategy, that the CEO, the CFO, and the COO are all really tuned in to the operating strategy of the business, but the marketing has this ability and connectivity to customers, to analysts, to press, that they can set the tone for unexpected disruptions, unexpected opportunities, and really be a leader and a strategist in in the boardroom and on the C-suite. So we want to stop here a moment and reflect on a couple of things that Carrie Luz talked about uh, that she also addressed in her presentation when I saw her regarding board nirvana, because they were there were a couple of tips that I mean, I immediately wrote down and knew that we could apply to to our team at Blast Media. We are asked by many of our clients at the end of every quarter or certainly at the end of the year for us to provide as the PR team two to three slides just on PR to present to the board and include in their presentations. So first and foremost, I, I thought we need to dial that back and maybe even suggest that they don't include RPR metrics, that we need to have one or two major highlights. But the two things that I wrote down that I immediately talked with my partner, Mindy, about after the presentation, one, that too much detail makes you look junior. And two, the only thing the board really wants to get out of the presentation is the confidence that they've hired the right person and that you are the one to do the job. It can, even for our teams, right? It can be intimidating to walk into a room and to present what you've done and your first thought is, I'm going to go into a bunch of detail. I'm going to talk about all of the things that we did. And it's a natural default for a lot of our team. So hearing that, that actually makes us look junior, immediately went back to our team here um, and talked about, we need to have the confidence, just like the board does, right? We need to have the, the confidence and know that our clients are extremely smart and they know a lot about their business and a lot about their product but we're the experts in PR and they've hired us for a reason. So we don't have to prove that we're smarter than them about PR and confusing them by using a bunch of jargon and language that they don't potentially understand. We just need to talk about high level what we've achieved and potentially look at the competition, what we're seeing that's driving the market, but that we shouldn't go into detail and exude that confidence that they've hired the right team and that they've hired the right people. So those were two things that I wanted to hit on because they they immediately transferred into our business and it was key takeaways that that I could have. Um, and I, I always am curious from our listeners how 
<laughs> how this advice is going to impact your presentations. Is there any way that you could get yours down to, to three to four to five slides? Or does that seem completely unrealistic? Let us know if you have any thoughts on that particular topic. So let's get back into our, into our conversation with Carrie Lou. She's going to talk more about the challenges that she thinks CMOs are facing today in B2B SaaS. You had talked about the sort of the responsibility and role of the CMO. Can you talk a little bit about what you think the biggest challenge is for today's CMO? It is, in your words, a high stakes role. And so I'm curious your opinion on what you think the biggest challenge is for today's CMO, um, specifically looking at high growth B2B SaaS companies. I've always thought that the CMO was one of the hardest roles, but then I thought maybe I was just a whiner. And when I, when I talked to one of the private equity investors and one of the CEOs that I interviewed for this article and, and presentation, both said they thought the CMO role was the hardest. And that's because it combines both art and science. So the CMO has never had to be as strong as, as today, they have to be today in IT systems, metrics, tracking, dashboarding, right? System level detail data that informs the business. Data-driven decisions are the norm. But at the same time, they're in charge of the story, of the brand, of the creative expression, of the way they make people feel. And a lot of that is gut call in intuition. And this combination of being the ma- one of the major go- growth channels for the business and the artistic soul and culture director is it calls on a lot of different skills to either have or hire correctly. Um, and I think, you know, when a business is going well, uh, sometimes people don't notice how much marketing is doing because it feels like, you know, there's a joke that everyone feels like they can be a marketer. Uh, and when the business is not going well, marketing is often one of the first to get blamed because it's the front door to, to revenue. So it's a tough job. But, you know, I've been lucky to be successful and see a lot of uh, men and women who are, are doing it really well in the Valley. Yeah, it's interesting that the more that we get plugged into you know, conversations with B2B CMOs, there's definitely this underlying I think, gap in what a CMO's role is versus what they're actually doing. And really, at the end of the day, anybody that's in the C-suite, everyone's responsible for driving business growth. It's using their specific discipline to do so. So whether you're the CFO or the CIO or the CMO, everyone is responsible for driving the business growth. But CMOs, I feel, tend to focus on their ownership of the craft and how much they know about the marketing rather than ownership of business growth, just like a CFO or a CIO. Do you feel like the CMO role is going to to continue to evolve? Do you feel like it might start to disappear with the role of a chief growth officer, chief strategy officer? What are your thoughts on that? I was just reading some more articles about the chief growth officer yesterday. You know, I think it kind of depends on, there's the top down and the bottoms up. But one of the reasons I think that some other roles are better at thinking about the company is because that's the job they want. So I would say most chief financial officers or chief operating officers consider themselves on the path to the CEO. And so they are thinking like a CEO because they want to be the CEO. Whereas I don't know that that's always true about marketers. You know, I, I actually consider myself an artist. I paint and I 
attempted, you know, I considered art related careers off and on many times over the years. And I kind of picked marketing because it was like the highest paid, you know, most powerful job that you could have as an artist in business. And I had always just wanted to be a to CMO. That was my goal, I, you know, and I'm happy to have achieved that. But I do think that there's a number of CMOs that see that the combination of owning sales and marketing gives you control over all the growth levers and lets you be more impactful, more integrated and more strategic. Because as a, a marketer, there's always this struggle where marketers think they're providing high quality leads and sales can't close them and sales thinks marketing's providing crap and they have to do everything themselves. And I do think that the discipline of bringing sales and marketing together under one chief growth officer could make a lot of sense for a lot of businesses. And I think that brings you back to senior vice presidents or vice presidents of marketing instead of chief marketing officers. But I would say that's an evolution of the CMO role instead of um, CMO going away. When it comes to running marketing at a B2B versus B2C company, how do you feel that success is measured differently or do you running a high growth B2B company versus B2C? Is B2B marketers held at a higher standard? I, you know, I've been fortunate to have have experiences in both because Atlassian didn't have a, a sales team and was focused on selling to individual developers instead of companies. And then, you know, subsequently we had an enterprise business as well, but the primary growth drivers of the model are B2C directly to individuals. And I think the advantage that consumer companies have is that there's a much closer time frame between when you do the marketing and see results. Now, not for everything, right? You could, could consume a TV commercial for a car and not buy a car for five years, but the TV commercial influenced your admiration of that brand. But generally speaking, consumer sales cycles are much shorter. For some enterprise sales, a lot of the companies I've worked for, the sales cycles can be six to 12 months. And it can include 5 to 20 different people in the sales cycle on the customer side and can interact with 25 to 45 different marketing assets. So it's just much more difficult as a B2B marketer to track what has the most influence and double down there. Well, and to be adding value within that 6 to 12 month sales cycle, right? On the B2C side, your awareness to conversion, to your point, is short. So how are you proving value from first touch point to six months to 12 months later amongst all the different purchasing influencers, I do feel there's a, it's not additional pressure, but you certainly have to examine different metrics to show value along that very long purchasing decision differently from a B2B side. And I think that's why account-based marketing is getting so much traction these days. It's, it's unclear to me that account-based marketing is substantially different than targeted account work that has been done for decades in sales or marketing, but in a much more manual fashion, right? Like when I started my sales career 20 years ago, I was our branch lead for marketing, targeting our specific large accounts. So people that spent over a million dollars a year with UUNet, I would send them white papers or hand me handouts of some sort that were really relevant to their account and their account stage. And now account-based marketing lets you do that at scale with a lot smarter analytics and AI and content surfacing engines. But when you're dealing with a six to 12 month sales cycle and a number of different constituents, you really need to be engaged in the sale all along the way to accelerate the sale and support the salespeople, not just 
get people to your website the first day. Sure. That's great advice. Um, and I would like to get your advice on one other thing is you have been a wildly successful woman leader in high tech, and that's no easy feat um, you know, in a male-dominated industry. What advice would you have, um, or, or whether that's anecdotal or um, just general advice, would you give to maybe that mid-level woman in a high-tech career today to really insert herself into her position and set herself up for success? I'm super passionate about women's ability to be successful in high-tech careers. And sometimes I get frustrated or disillusioned by the diversity statistics or you know different diversity initiatives that make us feel like we're not making progress. Uh, because in some places, we haven't made as fast a progress as, as maybe we would have thought. Although I would say we've made incredible progress since the time of my grandmother and even my mother. So taking a longer view, we're, we're on the path. But I'm really passionate about women focusing on what is within their control. Because I think that there are so many really powerful, wealthy, you know, self-made women in technology. And even if, you know, we're not 50 or 75% of the CEOs in Fortune 500 companies, there's huge opportunities for financial independence, satisfaction, uh, influence, and power. And I think that we, we can encourage women in the workforce today and the next generation by helping them focus on, on things that are, are within their control. And that is um, really building their skills. Skill building never ends. You know, I'm almost 25 years in high tech and constantly building new skills. I think being kind of clearly ambitious and, and not being afraid of telling people where you want to go. You know, women have a hard time complimenting themselves or, or bragging about their success or, or sometimes feel shy about saying that they want a promotion or the next job. I was always one to say, I want to be a C CMO someday. How do I get there? And was really clear with my bosses. And I felt like that gave them permission and gave us a platform to talk about what skills I needed to build and what opportunities I could take to move my career forward. And, and then the third part, or fourth part, I guess, that I would say is now that I've, I've been in business so long, I feel like I was hesitant to lean on mentors or coaches or hire specialists or experts because I felt like I should be able to figure out everything myself. And when I look back on some of my years where I struggled, I wish I'd been faster to hiring coaches or specialists, either within the team or for myself individually to help me grow faster and solve problems ahead of the experience, ahead of having the experience on the other side of that problem. Yeah, that's the whole, what is it? The rising tide lifts all ships. Yes. The better the team, right? More people you have all rising to the top, um, the better it is for everybody involved. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Carrie Lou, you've been so much fun to speak with. I really appreciate you joining me today. Do you have a signature or a favorite toast to send us out? Well, uh, my husband is a ramen chef, so we spend a lot of time on Japanese things. So I would say kampai. All right, kampai. I'll drink to that. Many thanks to Carrie Lou for joining us on the show. I knew she was going to be an incredible guest. If you want to try what I'm drinking today, which is the Paloma Margarita, we're giving away a limited number to our listeners, and we are delivering it straight to your door. 
That's right. On SAS Half Full, we deliver booze to your doorstep. How cool is that? You can go to cocktailcourier.com slash SAS Half Full and use promo code communication to claim a free cocktail kit. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Until next time, bottoms up. <laughs>